Welcome to episode six of the Rabbit Rundown. Again, my name is Jacob Von Bergen, and I'm joined here by former Jackrabbits men's basketball manager, Cody Reed. Cody, how's it going? I'm doing great. You know, it was a great weekend of basketball for the Jacks. We had a couple sweeps over Western, so uh, it's a great way to start conference play on both the men's and women's side. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you kind of hinted at it already a little bit here, but we, this week we'll be uh, you know, going over the uh, men's and women's sweeps of Western Illinois, kind of break down what we saw in those matchups, what we liked, what we didn't like, that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll also be joined by Matt Kirkle to preview the Omaha Women's Series due to that being the only, you know, series this weekend, uh, men being canceled with COVID. Uh, and we are also joined by Baylor Shireman uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, fun, you know, 10, 15 minute conversation with him. Uh, just kind of getting some insight into what it's like um, being a student athlete, you know, with COVID and everything going on right now. Uh, but first off, Cody, let's, uh, you know, let's dive into the, the women's uh, series here. The women's weekend, as you noted earlier, was a sweep. It was the first game of, or the, um, first two games of conference play for the Lady Jacks. Uh, night one, they won 71 to 61 uh, behind a strong game from Maya Sellen, who had 16 points, six boards, uh, followed up also by Peyton Burkhardt, who had 13, Tylee had 12, Tori, or, uh, Tori had 11, and Lindsay had eight. Uh, that game marked the 500th win for Coach AJ. Um, and then going into night two, they won 87 to 66. Uh, had a monster night from Maya Sellen, who had 29 points. Tylee had 16 and then 10 from both Tori and Peyton. Uh, so, Cody, uh, what were some of your main takeaways from the first two nights of women's action for SDSU? Yeah, I think the both games, you know, the whole series, it was kind of SDSU taking care of business like they needed to. Um, you know, Western's in that, you know, just below the, the top two teams is kind of what we're thinking where they're going to be for the Summit League. So, you know, when you're at home, you expect to win both those games. And uh, I think one of the biggest takeaways is just that, you know, SDSU took care of business. They looked like they were confident, they were prepared, uh, did what they needed to do. Uh, but I think the one thing that really is kind of special to highlight on is, you know, that first game, Coach AJ getting his 500th career win. Um, that's just a, a pretty amazing accomplishment for him. And, uh, you know, it also is a testament to how he's built this SDSU program and decided to stay around and build it, you know, even, even higher. Uh, I think that's just uh, an awesome thing for SDSU. Um, and so that, that was my kind of main two takeaways for the weekend. No, yeah. I think um, it's always worth noting uh, the stability the Jacks have had, had have had under AJ, um, you know, most programs, when you get a coach of that caliber, they usually don't stick around too long. I mean, just look down at like USD, uh, Amy Williams kind of built their program up and then went to her alma mater in Nebraska. Kind of expect that at the mid-major level, you see it a lot more in men's, but um, yeah, it's, you know, it's surprising that he stuck around this long, but it's great. Uh, he's obviously built a really good program. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from that, the first two nights of games were the even scoring throughout uh, for the Jacks, um, especially the first game. You had, you know, four players in double digits, uh, another one right outside of it uh, with Lindsay. It's like 16 points, 13 points, 12, 11, 11, and eight. It's like, it's hard to beat a team that has that kind of scoring uh, throughout their entire team. It's kind of hard to focus it on one player. And then you had Maya just being Maya in game two, just took over the game, 29 points, showed the mismatches, got, um, got where she wanted to get, got easy baskets all over the court. Um, 
it just you know it was, it was great to watch uh just seeing her kind of dominate the game 29 points hoping to maybe get another her fourth player of the the week from the summit league here this week you never know with you know how other teams did and all that kind of stuff but i think that was a big takeaway just how even the scoring can be for the jacks uh throughout their starting lineup yeah i mean it's awesome to see that everyone's kind of contributing and i think a big thing is you know we had mentioned they were looking for that third scorer or you know second creator um and i think tylee's kind of stepped up into that role whether she was you know a little slow just recovering from the injury she had at the beginning of the season or just kind of find, finding her midseason form but you know she had 12 points and 16 points and she's had some bigger scoring games for the jacks so i think it's good to see her you know kind of take on being that you know second or third leading score and being able to create some things off the dribble um, and, you know, shooting the ball a little bit better. And then also, I think, you know, just going into how complete this team is, I think the bench roles, they're doing what they need to do too. You know, when you have all starters, you know, get close to double digits, you don't need the bench to score a lot of points, but when they come in, they've been able to play meaningful minutes, um, you know, give the starters some rest. We've seen, you know, Madison Vlaston, uh, Mesa Byam, Regan Nessheim, and then we got Haley Greer back as well um, from her three-game kind of injury hiatus. Uh, so I think it's the, the rotation and everything, top to bottom, player one to player you know nine, um, it's really looking good, and that's what you want to see when you are at this point in the season. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, in game one we kind of noted last week that we kind of expected to maybe see a little bit of a slow start from the women on night one, and they kind of got off to a slower start. Um, you know, Western really hung in there for the first half, uh, but then obviously winning by 10, they kind of pulled away more in the, uh, later in the game. I kind of closed it out. So no real surprises there. You know, they had a couple weeks off between matchup or between games. So you expect a little bit of rust. You can only do so much in practice. Um, with their three-point shooting, kind of the same numbers it's always been this year, around 27% the first night, 29% the third night, or the second night, excuse me. So, you know, there's a little bit of room for improvement there, but they're going to be a hard team to be if they can shoot around that 30% mark, uh, if they can get more into like the 33 to 35% range, they're going to be a really tough team to beat. Um, if they can start spreading the court out. And like you mentioned with Tylee, I think her biggest asset to the team is, you know, she can be that second or third scorer, but her length on the perimeter defensively. Um, I know you made note off uh, before the podcast of all the turnovers Western had. And I think, you know, when she's in the game, Tylee causes a lot of issues, uh, uh, for other opposing teams offense just because she is you know long and quick so she can she can stay in front of a point guard without fouling and can create turnovers yeah i think uh that's a, you know an underrated skill that she brings to the table is her defense and overall the team defense is looking really good too i mean when you force 20 uh i think it was either 20 or 22 turnovers night one night two western had 25 turnovers um you know anytime you're forcing that many turnovers um, whether it's maybe Western being sloppy or just SSU playing good defense, you know, that's a good indication that, that things are going well for you. Um, and then another thing I wanted to point out, you know, even though the three-point shooting has maybe not quite been, you know, where the Jacks would hope it to be, uh, I think they're making up for that in how much they're getting to the free throw line and then how well they're converting once they get there. So both nights, you know, they were shooting um, – or making, sorry, they were making just as many free throws or more than the other team was even shooting. And so I think that 
just shows, you know, how well they're executing offensively and, you know, how aggressive and confident everyone feels taking the ball to the rim. Something I've noticed with AJ coach teams, um, uh, especially when you don't have the Maddie and, uh, you know, Miller backcourt uh, that SEC's had for the last few years, um, the shot that's kind of dead in most leagues is a mid-range shot. But a lot of the SCSU women's teams, the more you watch, the more you realize how much they utilize the mid-range game. Um, they like to drive and get to the hoop, but they're not afraid to, you know, shoot from the free throw line or, you know, inside the paint, but not at the rim. A lot of teams, you know, are afraid to do that. They, they're kind of wasted shots. Everyone thinks it's either three or get to the, you know, get to the rim, draw a foul. Um, but AJ coach teams have always utilized that mid-range shot. And I think that's one thing that sets them apart from a lot of teams is, um, their ability to knock down that shot where a lot of teams don't really focus on that defensively. Um, so I think that's one you know big impact. I know we did see a little bit of the zone. Uh, Scott, last week, kind of talked about how the women kind of got rid of the zone for Western. But I know they sprinkled it in and out this week as well. Um, so, yeah, I, overall, though, I think, you know, the women took care of business. Um, like we said, going into the season, Western's, you know, I think they were picked third. They're kind of looked at as that third or fourth best team in the summit, probably one of the top seeds on day two on Sunday at the Summit League tournament. So getting two convincing wins like this early on in the year is great. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, they transform throughout the season um, and if they improve a bunch more going into that because now you're not seeing them until, uh, you know, March, what is it, 6th or 7th now? That's the next time they'll um, they'll be looking at them as a potential opponent. So it's going to be very interesting to watch how these kind of teams evolve from matchup one to the summer league tournament. Now that you're not going to see them for, you know, almost a couple months. Yeah. So like you said, they, they took care of business, but Western could be a completely different team, you know, come tournament time. You know, I think they have some good players that, that czars, uh, their post player that can also kind of play on the perimeter. I think she's a really special talent for them. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of their guards, one was coming back from injury Flores, and then one of the other ones kind of struggled with some turnovers, but they have the pieces there, you know, they have a, st- a coach that's been there a long time. So, you know, come tournament time, they will be a tough out, but, uh, we'll have to watch and see what happens with them throughout the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, with all that being said, though, we can kind of get into our preview here of the SDSU Omaha women's matchup. Um, like I said before, we'll be joined by the Omaha uh, play-by-play announcer Matt Kirkle. Um, but Omaha's women also kicked off their first weekend of action this last week um, due to their COVID uh, shutdown two weeks ago. Last week, this weekend was their la- their first uh, their first games. Uh, they started out 0-2. Uh, they 62 to 53 against NDSU was the first game. Then they lost the second game as well, 66 to 55 to NDSU. Uh, Omaha is. You know, they're one and six on the season, 0-2 in conference play. Um, you know, we'll really get into this matchup a lot here, but kind of going into it here before, you know, we talked to Matt and everything, uh, you kind of go into the series thinking, okay, this should be another sweep for SDSU. Uh, you know, should see the bench getting a little bit of action, see if they can, you know, contribute to some big minutes uh, towards the end of the games. It would you know, be nice to see them put them away early and give their uh, starters a nice little rest, uh, you know, especially on, on day two. Yeah, I think that's the goal is um, you're definitely expecting to win both these games, even though um, more so for the men, but Omaha Pat in the past has been kind of a tough place to play. And you got to play two games down in Baxter mm-hmm. arena, which, you know, uh, it's a bigger arena. So they might have some more fans. I'm not sure what their policy is, but 
uh, yeah, you, you, you look at this as an opportunity to kind of um, win, win both these games and win both these games easily. So um, mm -hmm. hopefully the, the bench can, can get some minutes um, towards the end of the game and, you know, just continue to develop those players um, and, you know, not just mop up time, but, you know, actual meaningful minutes before the, the mop up time. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of the mindset Jackrabbits are going to have again, just go in, take care of business and uh, get two wins. Cause you know, Omaha's been a struggling team on the women's side for a while and it doesn't look like they're, you know, turning it around too much this year. Well, yep, I agree. Uh, with all that being said, uh, like we said earlier, joined by Matt Kirkle, uh, we'll, we'll go to that conversation right now. Welcome back. Uh, again, we're joined here by Matt Kirkle. Uh, Matt is the play-by-play -play, uh, for the for Mavs Radio down in Omaha. He's also the you know, GM of Mavs Radio, and he also is a contributor for Reaching the Summit. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. Join you guys. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we have a little bit less to talk about today due to the uh, cancellation of the men's series with some COVID complications. Um, but, you know, at this point in the recording, it sounds like we got a you know, women's series to look forward to. So um, as two people that are probably not super aware of, you know, what's going on down in Omaha with the women's team, kind of give us a little bit of a rundown of what we're looking at, uh, going to be looking forward to in the upcoming matchup. Yeah, um, so the biggest storyline this season for the women's team was obviously the coaching change going into this year. It was Brittany Lang, and then they went to Carrie Banks, the former Ohio State assistant. And the thing that I've noticed so far this year that's been the biggest, I mean, the biggest positive considering last year the women's team was at the bottom of the summit and field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage. They were averaging, I think it was 19 or 20 turnovers a game. It was just kind of sloppier on the offensive end. Things have kind of cleaned itself up, which is nice. Um, the, the turnover problem, I think right now UNO has the third best turnover margin right now in the conference. Um, field goal percentage-wise is still kind of a struggle. Uh, you know, the offensive side kind of struggles to flow at times. Um, but defensively has been a huge improvement. And it's what's made them a little bit competitive uh, in some of their non-conference games that were a little tougher. Uh, they, they, they were fought a hard-fought game in Champaign against Illinois. And then against Kansas State, they made a late rally and tried to win, but couldn't quite come up with the victory. Um, but it's, it's been a positive shift with that team. The only thing right now is just finding a mesh offensively, because especially, like I said, before we hopped on with uh, Mariah Murdy and Michaela Ekdahl missing the first two games. Mariah Murdy's a first uh, preseason first team all summit. So she's somebody that this team kind of revolves around offensively. She's uh, the leader right now in field goal percentage for this team. And um, she's somebody that the offense is kind of needing to flow through. Uh, feel, uh, the, the thing that hasn't changed for this team is field goal percentage wise, they're still kind of at the bottom of the summit and offensively, uh, like I said before, it struggles to flow at times. But um, the thing going into the South Dakota State game that I'm looking at the most for this Omaha team is the return of Elena Pilakuta, uh, the Cypress native. Um, she didn't play the first two games. I'm not sure why it might have, might have been injury related, um, but she's back in the lineup. And since she's come back in in four games, she's already second on the team in points scored. Um, she's rebounding the ball pretty well. And she just takes up space inside. She does a good job with their inside outside game that Omaha likes to play. She can attract attention inside and then they can kick to shooters like Claire Killian on the outside. And then, you know, that's when the offense starts to become productive. So looking at this, this South Dakota State game, I think that 
it's really going to revolve around the Mavericks defense because South Dakota State is proven. I mean, every year that it's South Dakota, South Dakota State on the women's side. They're the two teams that control the summit. I mean, last year watching them battle it out in the Summit League Championship down in Sioux Falls was so much fun. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at Maya Selland, you look at um, Tylee Irwin for South Dakota State. These are players that are, you know, at the top of the conference. So I think defensively Omaha is going to have to do a good job of limiting their production. You know, I don't think stopping their production is necessarily realistic. Um, but just limiting it. And then on the offensive end, you know, obviously they need to get a flow with their inside outside game with the return of Pilakuta. Um, I think, I think it'll be a competitive game. Omaha has obviously had their struggles so far this year. Um, not a lot of wins in the win column had a tough road stretch for a long time. They didn't get to play at Baxter until January. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens this week. Um, it's just a matter of what the Mavericks can do defensively. I think that'll be the biggest dictator in this game. No. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm guessing knowing kind of what you were saying before the interview, you guys don't have, do you have is there fans allowed at Baxter Arena or what's the fan policy right now? Yes. Right now it's limited fan policy. I couldn't tell you the exact number they cap it at. Um, I believe it's close to a thousand. Um, I know for the men's game that the side closest to the benches were filled out pretty well, um, but they try to do their best. I know for the broadcasters, they split them up pretty well. Um, they have some people up in the press box in past years, everybody's on the floor together. And now they're kind of trying to split it up halfway. So Baxter arena is doing a really good job of, you know, following the COVID protocols and everything like that. But right now, yeah, it is under a limited fan base attendance policy. Yeah. And uh, going into, you know, like you said, Omaha doesn't have, you know, too many wins in the win column yet, but they've been competitive in a lot of games, you know, Illinois non-con lost by three, Kansas state lost by seven you know, and we're tough up at NDSU this past weekend. So, you know, what's been the difference in the games where they've, you know, been right there and haven't quite, you know, got over the hump versus the games where they maybe haven't performed as well? I mean, I think the biggest thing this year has been just offensive production. I think that's the biggest thing that has been lacking because the things that hurt the Mavericks last year were the, the very small things. They were turnovers. They were defensive lapses, just simple mistakes where somebody gets a wide open one on zero layup. It was those kind of things that shot Omaha in the foot and ultimately led to a lot of 25 plus point losses where this year, I think they're a lot more competitive because of the fact that they've gotten rid of those mistakes and kind of piggybacking off what I said before, it's just a matter of getting their offense to flow through an inside outside kind of offense right now. It's sometimes gets a bit stagnant. There's not as much movement on the offensive side. And I think that's when teams go on their runs. Um, I know against Kansas state, when they, when Omaha made that late run to get back into that game, it was partially due to the fact that we saw a lot more ball movement and a lot more um, open looks on the perimeter, because a lot of the times people like Claire Killian, her, her story at Omaha has been, she's a heavy volume shooter. Um, she gets a lot of looks, but sometimes they're not the best looks. She gets a lot of shots in traffic and it's things like that, that kind of hurt Maverick runs and, and kind of hinder them from getting over the hump and getting some of those wins in the win column. And it's just a matter of getting a, a, a structured offense. And I think those are the things that Carrie Banks are, she's starting to implement into the culture of this team. And um, it's been nice to see, but I think that's going to be the biggest step for them to start getting those wins in the win column is as simple as it sounds, they got to make shots. I mean, you got to make shots to win games and they, they have had, spurts where they go on little 8-0-10-0 runs and quarters and then they'll go on a five minute span where they don't score and those are the the inconsistencies are going to have to get eliminated if they want to start winning games no oh, yeah um and you kind of mentioned a couple of players earlier uh and mariah uh murdy you know she's probably gonna be a player to watch because just looking at how sdsu kind of matches up with uh you guys there you know you have two 
two players that are about six foot three, which, um, you know, if you go back to the Kansas State game, that's what gave USDSU some issues and some other games is the height. Um, but Mariah will probably end up probably guarding Maya Sellen. Um, so as a defender, um, you know, Maya's kind of that hybrid guard forward um, at about six foot. Is that something, you know, Mariah is usually comfortable with or what's, you know, what's her skill set as a defender? And, um, and that's, that, that's where things kind of get dicey. I like that you brought that up because um, Mariah Murdy um, is unbelievably talented. She on offense, she's by far our most efficient player. Um, she does a lot of good things. Well, one thing that she struggles with at times is she gets into foul trouble really early in games. Um, we've already seen that in some of her minutes this year, it's gone down drastically from what we saw last year. And, you know, being a preseason first team selection, there was a lot of hype around Mariah Murdy and with the new coaching staff, I wasn't sure where she was going to quite fit into that equation, but um, she's going to have her hands full. She's going to have her hands full this weekend because she's going to have to play strong, smart defense. A lot of times, it's as simple as her not getting her hands up. She'll be in the right position down low to make a good play, but she just, you know, has her hands arcing just a little bit, gets enough contact where the rest blow the whistle, and that's what's going to have to get avoided because I do think Mariah Murdy's probably going to have that matchup this weekend, and she she's going to have to be ready, um, and along with Pilakuda. Pilakuda is another player where sometimes um, moving laterally is something where um, she gets herself into trouble. She takes up space. She's a nice shot blocker. She's an excellent rebounder, but same thing as Mariah Murdy. Sometimes she finds herself in foul trouble. And if Omaha gets into foul trouble early in that game, South Dakota State's probably going to run away with it. That's probably just the way this game's going to go if Omaha ends up, you know, getting some self-inflicting wounds like that. But if they can keep their bigs in the game, if they can keep people like Mariah Murdy, you know, out of foul trouble for the, for the latter part, mainly just to the first half. Down the stretch, foul trouble usually isn't an issue. It's just in that first half, sometimes the, those come back, come back to bite us in the second half. And um, if Omaha can avoid those mistakes, I think um, they're going to be in a lot better position. But with somebody like Maya Sellen, Omaha is going to have their hands full, um, especially down low. So they're going to have to find ways to do it. And I think they can. Like I said, they're a lot more disciplined than they were last year. Um, but again, Mariah Murdy's minutes have gone down. So it's going to be definitely a, a thing to watch for on her end. Yeah, and uh, I think it is going to be an exciting series. So getting into just kind of a season-long outlook for the Mavs, you know, they're bringing a new coach. It's kind of a two-part question here. What's, you know, the number one thing, you know, if you have to pick one thing that she brings to the table for the Mavs, you know, is it culture? Is it, you know, the X's and O's, recruiting? And then what's the, you know, expectation at the end of the season? Is it just make the Summer League tournament? Is it get a sixth seed? You know, is it Top, top half, what are you thinking there? That's a really good question, actually. Um, the thing that she brings the most, at least early on in her first season that I've noticed the most, is she brings discipline. She, bring, she brings a level of discipline that this team didn't have last year. I remember against South Dakota um, last year, the Mavs were down a lot by a lot at halftime. It was a blowout. And from what it sounds like, it just sounds like some of the, the morale was falling apart a little bit. It, it sounded like there, there was leadership issues at times, you know, kind of everywhere on that team. And this year, it seems like those issues are no longer there. It seems like there's a nice culture that's being set in. And I have high expectations. When it comes to the season outlook, um, I think the Mavs are going to be a much, much more competitive team in Summit League play than they were last year. Last year at times, um, it's not even that they weren't good enough to stay into games. They would just go on spurts where, you know, the other team scores 14, 16 in a row. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing from behind the whole game. And those things haven't really happened this year. Against North Dakota State, they fought hard in both games and they were competitive. Um, and those are the things that I think have been the biggest difference makers that Carrie Banks probably has a direct correlation with. I think she just she's come in and she's established 
a culture that is, is much, much more disciplined, like I said before. And in terms of, I guess, Summit League tournament, looking down the road, what I expect from them, I mean, I think a six seed, a, a five seed would be if they play really well. I mean, the, the Summit League's a tough conference. Teams like uh, North Dakota State, they just got done playing them. They are – North Dakota State's way better than they were last year. Last mm-hmm. year, they were kind of one of the teams towards the bottom. Now, I think they're probably a top three, top four team in the Summit. Um, Western Illinois still hanging around. Oral Roberts is finding ways to get uh, points on the board very, very easily. And they were competitive with a bunch of good D1 schools. Um, so, on, I think when you look at all those things, I think Omaha could be a middle-of-the-pack team if, if things start going their way offensively. Right now, the way things are going, I could see them being a, a seven seed potentially in the Summit League tournament. It, it all depends on how things shake out. But if the offensive side of the ball can get figured out, I really do think this team could be a middle-of-the-pack team that you might not want to play in the Summit League tournament. It all just depends on how things progress this season. Well, yeah, I was, I was kind of looking at their schedule and definitely did not start out nicely. Uh, you know, Oral's a much improved team, but like you mentioned, NDSU, we've kind of noted a couple of times that they're, you know, greatly improved this year. Um, you know, they might've even, like we said, jumped Western as, you know, Western's kind of that three, the third team in the mix. They've, uh, they've always been up there with SDSU and now it's kind of USC taking their spot at two, um, fighting for that one, two spot. But um, yeah, they go NDSU, SDSU, then, uh, or US, excuse me, NDSU, SDSU, uh, USD. So that's a rough stretch. And you kind of said like last year, it sounded like leadership broke down a little bit. Um, so it'll be a real test for morale there. Um, you know, how they come out of this, you know, six game stretch. Um, you know, if you can steal a couple games in that, that obviously, um, you know, for morale reasons really boosts the team, but um, you know, it's a team that, you know, height wise, probably one of the best to match up with, you know, USD and their size, but um, kind of one of my, I guess my final questions here is, you know, with new players brought in uh, to the scheme, and obviously it's a lot more prevalent on the men's side than the women's side. Um, have you noticed, you know, new players coming in and making an impact right away? Um, have they hit the transfer portals? Kind of with the new coach, how does the, you know, the player breakdown of, uh, you know, new people coming in? Is there a different style to how they play or just uh, how's the new uh, kind of regime treating new uh, players that way? Yeah, um, so there's a few players that have kind of hit the scene this year. A few of them were on the team last year. Sarah Schmidt, she started the first few games in replacement of Michaela Ekdahl when she was absent. And she leads the team in assists right now. She's, she's averaging like two or three assists a game. And, you know, the Omaha's a team right now when it comes to uh, assist to turnover ratio. It's, it's not um, the best right now. But it, she's been one of those leaders in terms of moving the basketball. And um, like I was saying before, I think that's kind of the key to getting the wheels turning with this team is – um, getting the ball moving, getting it inside, and then working around the perimeter. Um, in terms of like recruiting and some of the players she's starting to bring in, the thing that stuck out to me the most was the day after she got hired this last offseason, she offered two players in the Omaha area, two high school players. And I think that that's really important, especially for someone who before she came to Omaha had no Omaha ties. There's nothing that really brought her to Omaha other than it was a head coaching opportunity and it was going to be her first venture in that position. Um, so the fact that she came into the city and started immediately offering some of the city's best talent, um, I think says a lot about, um, you know, trying to have a positive image in this community. Um, and I think so far it's working really well. Some of the recruiting she's doing, she's already um, made a lot of good offers around. Um, recruiting classes are starting to look good in terms of besides Sarah Schmidt. Um, you know, there, there's a few players that stick out in my mind. Um, Kyle Wilson, she hasn't really been playing as much this year, but last year she was somebody that came in off the bench and was a, was a very valuable player. 
Um, ooh, that, that's the one player I was forgetting. Lauren Frost, she came in this year. She's one of the newcomers on this team. She's a freshman. She started in two games this year. I think she's played in all seven. And she's somebody that kind of comes off the bench and provides a spark sometimes. She's a, she's a really good guard. Um, the one player I think that needs to um, kind of step into a bigger role is Akili Felici. Um, she's another Omaha native. Uh, she is a dead eye three point shooter. She's as good as it comes. And she was somebody that um, I thought this year was going to take a big step forward. And she, um, her three point production's kind of been about the same. She really hasn't been getting as much minutes as I thought she was going to be, but she's somebody that I think um, coach Banks is going to start implementing more. Um, but in terms of the recruiting aspect, I think Carrie Banks has a very high standard. I know in her final year at Ohio state, she had a top 10 recruiting class in America, you know, obviously at a big 10 program. Um, but I think Omaha fans have a high expectation. Just given that I think they expect her to come in and um, kind of change the culture a little bit, maybe get some different style players that Omaha's used to seeing uh, in the Lang era. And I hope that happens. I hope Carrie Banks starts getting some of the players that fit her system. I mean, obviously right now she's coaching players that she didn't really recruit. There's a few players that are hers, but for the most part, it's, it's all Brittany Lang players right now. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But I think that um, given her, her past and what we've seen just in the first few months of her recruiting trail, I think it's going to be positive. Perfect. Um, Cody, do you have any other questions or? Um, no, I think that's been some some great insight into the series this weekend, and I'm looking forward to it. You know, with, without the men, this is the the premier show in town. So, amen, amen. I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. It's it stinks that we can't get that. I think that was going to be a good series, but like you guys said, I think this series is going to be fun this weekend. Oh yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Um, that was kind of my final question uh, as well. So uh, again, uh, that was Matt Kirkle, um, play-by-play analyst for the Omaha Mavericks and contributor to the Reaching the Summit uh, website. Uh, Matt, thanks again for joining us. And, you know, hopefully it's a, you know, a good series here this weekend. Yes, sir. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And that was our conversation with uh, Matt Kirkle of uh, the Omaha Mavericks previewing the Omaha SDSU matchup uh, this coming Friday and Saturday. Uh, following that up here, you know, we got, we're going into the men's side of things. Um, the men also had a 2-0 weekend, a nice sweep for them as well. We saw a couple of returns to the lineup this weekend. Uh, Doug Wilson came off the bench night one, bled all players in scoring with 22 points. Uh, Luke Apple with a great 16 points off the bench as well as Baylor Shireman. And then Alex Arians uh, had 10. Matt Dentlinger had eight. Uh, night two, we saw the return of Noah Friedel. Uh, also coming off the bench, we saw Doug Wilson in the starting lineup for the first time in over a month. Um, Noah led all scores with 25 points. David Winget had 15. Doug had 14. And then another double-double from Baylor, who had 11 points, 11 boards. And then Alex Arians also had 11. Uh, that's Baylor's sixth double-double of the season. Um, they're on night two. But, Cody, what were some of your main takeaways from the uh, two nights of action on the men's side? Yeah, I think they were highly competitive games. Uh, it was a good job by SDSU night one, you know, um, bringing one of their players back, um, but still being kind of limited, you know, with with Noah out. And then, you know, Matt Mims also sprained his ankle in practice this past week. He's going to be out, I think Hendo said, you know, nine to 10, 10 days as they watch that, um, especially coming up for Omaha. But, you know, so they only played seven guys night one, but they still um, – you know, did what they needed to do. 
I think Western's a lot more competitive than they have been in the past. And they showed that in the ability to come back on night one. Um, but overall, I think the Jacks um, played really well. And, and, you know, night two and the second half, that's just, it's so fun to watch when they're playing at that level, passing the ball, sharing the ball, everyone's getting in on the action, you know, shooting it well. And, you know, that second half team there that just kind of really hammered down on, on Western is, you know, a fun team to watch and what you hope to see out of the, the men's Jackrabbits. No, that, that second half was probably the first time we've seen that SDSU lineup play together for extended minutes uh, in over a month, because even in the first half of that game, uh, all the big men were kind of in foul trouble. So you didn't really see Doug, Luke, and all them playing together, or Matt uh, playing out there with the starting lineup. So great to see him out there. Uh, you know, they really, in that second half, showed their dominance, uh, showed what the team can do. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing for me in the game one was uh, we saw, again, how efficient Doug can be. Um, Doug had 22 points on 25 minutes of playing, uh, you know, only 9 of 14 shooting. So he's not one of those guys that, you know, you need to get him 30 shots a game. He's, he's going to get a lot of points, and he can do them in bunches. And you kind of see him – there's certain stretches on offense where, you know, you see him coming down the court, and he's kind of jogging down, and he's like, oh, I got, I got a match if I like her. You know, this is going to be a good play for me. And he kind of sprints to the hoop, and they get the ball to him, and – he makes this nice spin move towards the rim and gets a basket and almost makes it look too easy sometimes. But the efficiency from him uh, game one was uh, crazy. And then uh, kind of like we met, noted, Noah joint coming back game two, uh, 25 points and nine of 15 shooting. Uh, so a pretty efficient night for him as well. Um, Jack looks, like you said, the Jacks looked really good in the second half of that game, really pulling away later. Uh, I do think a big takeaway though, a um, couple things to talk about. The free throw shooting wasn't great again from the Jacks. Um, and then, but on a positive note, Luke Apple really starting to, uh, you know, fit into the offense, fit in with the team. Uh, a couple big nights for him. Starting to show he's confident in playing in the system. So it's really good to see Luke, you know, show up and kind of be the player they're expecting him to be when they got on campus. Yeah, no, I think I'm going to hit on a couple things that you talked about there. First, talking about the efficiency of, of Doug. Um, you know, great to see him back, you know, nine of 14 is awesome. You know, you throw in Luke going eight of 10 in night one. That's awesome. But just as a team, if you look at how efficient, you know, the Jacks have been as a team, uh, according to Ken Pomeroy, you know, pretty well-known college basketball insider and analyst, um, Jacks, the Jacks are 44th out of all division one teams, you know, this, so that includes the power five teams, you know, all 300 or some division one teams, they're 44th. Um, rated in adjusted offense. So um, that's one metric showing that. And then if you look at their, their shooting percentage, the Jacks are shooting just under 40% from three. So 39%, their opponents are at 31. So that's a 8% gap there. And then mm. from the floor, overall field goal percentage, the Jacks are shooting 48% opponents, 42%. So, you know, when you're shooting 48% from the, from the field, 40% from the three, you're a tough team to beat. And that means, you know, you're sharing the ball well, you're playing offensive well. Um, and yeah, it's great to see Luke, um, you know, going into that other point. And I think um, he's shown he can compete at this level. You know, it took him a little bit to get adjusted to the speed and the strength of the game, um, you know, going from community college to, to D1. But I think he's shown he can compete. You know, the coaches keep saying he's getting better on defense and that's showing. Um, and he's developing some of the, the counter moves to his post moves. And, you know, he's looking smooth down there. So awesome to see that for him. 
No, yeah. And uh, I think we're starting to see, you know, Matt Dentlinger get a little bit more comfortable as well uh, in conference play. You know, eight points night one, nine points game two. So, you know, he's not going to be scoring the double digits, but when you have, you know, four or five guys in the double digits, you don't need your center to do it as well. Um, defensively, you know, Matt is probably the best uh, of the two big men between him and Luke, probably the better of the two defenders. Um, but no, it's, you know, it's crazy to watch, especially you look at game two stats. There was um, five guys in double figures. Matt's, you know, one point away from um, getting 11 points. So he could easily have been in double figures. Luke only had seven points and he only took two shots on the night. So, you know, get him three, four shots. He could be in double figures pretty easily. So there's a legitimate seven guys on the team that could be scoring double figures. You know, we talked about easily, you know, if he took a few more shots, maybe he could get there. Um, Matt Mims being out, you know, he's, he could potentially get hot any night uh, from three and just, you know, make a few of those. So there's a lot of scoring options um, for a team that doesn't use their bench a whole lot. Historically in the last few years, um, there's a lot of scoring on the team. And I think the Doug injury early on um, and the Noah suspension uh, really boosted the confidence in a lot of these guys. Cause you saw guys like David who went out and had a, a big night too. Um, you know, scoring, like I said, uh, 15 points, uh, you know, he can come in he, any given night. He can show up with 15 to 20 points. Uh, Alex has shown he can be consistent from on the offensive end. Baylor's seen he can carry offensive uh, guards, guard duties uh, without Noah in. So I think, you know, the suspension and the injuries, something you don't want to happen, but I think in the long run is going to really help out uh, the Jacks this year just uh, with what they're able to do offensively. Yeah, especially, you know, with the inability for teams to really game plan much between night one and night two in these, you know, Friday, Saturday night series. Uh, I think that's a bonus for the Jacks because they have so many ways they can spread the ball around. So if, you know, the team knows game one or, or you know, for the whole weekend, our game plan, we're going to stop Doug. Well, maybe that works in game one, but then you have Baylor, Alex, David, whomever step up. And then mm-hmm. if you try and make any adjustments – then Doug has a great night on, on game two or whoever, you know, the team. So I think just from a game plan perspective, they're, the Jacks are hard to game plan for because, you know, anyone can go off. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, we think Doug will, um, you know, stay healthy now that he's back. And so with David sliding back into that bench role, we had, you know, I had mentioned before, I thought it when he gets going early, he plays really well. And so, you know, starting, I'm sure helped that. He had two big shots uh, in the second game at, right away. Um, but him sliding back into what will probably probably be a bench role, um, it'll be important for when he comes in, you know, to still be able to have those meaningful points off the bench. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the one uh, thing that we can take away from it, you know, maybe negative thing from it, free throw shooting uh, wasn't great uh, this weekend. Um, first game, about 66.7% from the free throw line. Second game, uh, 63%. Um, which kind of alarming numbers that they can be that low. Uh, you look at, especially game two, they shot 52% from three, but only 63% from the free throw line. It's like, okay, well, you know, you know, you have guys that can shoot. Why are the free throws, you know, the easy shots with no one in front of you? Why is that causing such an issue? And is it going to be something, you know, later on in the year where we're going to blow a big game because of it? I mean, the game two or game one, you saw Western sneak back into it because of the lack of, consistent free throw shooting. So um, that's going to be something, you know, we've mentioned it a few times already this year. 
but it's definitely going to be something to watch later on in the season if uh, they keep going on with, with these struggles. Yeah. Um, and one positive thing I noticed with the free throw shooting is they are getting to the line a lot. So mm-hmm. um, it's not like, you know, they're only going there eight times, making five or something like that. Uh, I think they had 27 the first night, 30 the second night. Yep. So they're getting there a lot, which is good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, converting there has not been as good. And um, Baylor's shooting 87% from the free throw, free throw line. Alex is at 90 or 91%. Um, and so I think the two players that you want to see that really bump up is Doug's only at 56%. Um, and then Noah, who I think he shot better than this last year, he's at 74%. Because um, those are the two other guys that are getting to the line a lot. So, you know, I think that's just something Doug and Noah have to probably work on, um, you know, themselves in practice with coaches and, and just really get those reps in, start to get confident. And maybe, you know, being back consistently, um, you know, they should hopefully – uh, bump those numbers up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at them, you know, you hit four or five more of those free throws night one, really no stress going into the end of the game like there kind of was. Um, night two, you're probably looking at 100 points if, you know, you hit, you know, a few more of those free throws, ended up at 93, only shot like 60, uh, 63%. So, you know, you make eight, seven more, you're at 100. So, um, you know, it just helps widen the gap. When you get those kind of shots, obviously it helps. Um Night two, I know they dominated the rebounding uh, battle. Uh, Noted that Baylor had another double-double. He leads the team in uh, rebounds and um, all that this year. So it's it's great to watch him, you know, just battle down there. He's averaging almost nine rebounds a game. So he's almost averaging a double-double this year. So it's great to watch him do that. And I think, you know, when teams are shooting those deep balls and the three-point shot is becoming so prevalent in the game – you need guards that are willing to get in there and get the rebounds on those long boards. And looks like Baylor's going to consistently be that guy for the Jacks this year. And the awesome thing about Baylor leading the team in rebounding is because he is such a good ball handler and had, there's no problem with him bringing the ball up to court. When he gets a rebound, the Jacks are immediately initiating offense. You know, he doesn't have to look mm-hmm. for an outlet pass. He doesn't have to, he can just get the rebound, go turn up court. And so, you know, hopefully that, you know, or I, I shouldn't say hopefully it has led to some some early buckets um, in the offense. And he's, you know, we also saw, um, you know, if Doug sprinting the floor, Baylor's been able to hit him on some some outlets right away. Um, so that's a really key thing, you know, not just the rebounding total lets you see, but that leads into good offense for the Jacks when he can just grab it, go, and, t- and take the ball to court. Yep, and – Kind of the, one of the final things I know I wanted to mention was uh, the lack of fans. You can really hear the coaches on the uh, mics there. Um, and it seems every time, you know, the Jacks get a rebound, they're looking to run. Um, and, he, and like you said, with Baylor, when he gets it, that's when it seems like the offense is, you know, down the court ready to go. And he's made a few ridiculous passes. Um, you know, yesterday, I believe it was, he, he had like an over-the-back, like, pass to Noah, who was, like, driving – and they didn't convert because it was kind of a awkward layup for for Noah. But it's one of those things like the guy, you know, you can tell he used to be a quarterback. He he knows exactly where to put the ball and how to get it to people. So, yeah, when he's you know when he's running the fast break, the Jacks' offense is probably is when it looks its best. So um, it'll be fun to watch that you know coming up throughout the year. Um, and I guess one one other final note I had is really going off the girls. We said it with the girls uh, team. 
uh, the matchup, how, you know, we're not going to see Western again until the tournament. I think the guys Western team is going to be the team that evolves the most, uh, especially throughout the Summit League here, just overall. Because, like, when we talked to Scott, uh, they have so many new guys. Um, they had two guys on the roster last year that are on the team this year, and there's only one of those suited up um, on Friday and Saturday. So this is going to be a team that is going to look completely different come tournament time. So that'll be a fun thing to watch, uh, you know, once we get to Sioux Falls, if how much improve, how much more improved Western is as a, a team overall. Yeah, there's three just rapid fire also things I wanted to, to know. One mm-hmm. of them goes off what you said about Western. I think you can see under Coach Jeter, they're competing at a different level than they've competed, you know, in the past five years. Um, and I think he's definitely building something there. You know, whether the wins might not come this year, um, but I think he, he's definitely shown that, you know, if night one's a perfect example. A previous Western team, when they're down, I think it was like 19, and then had a huge comeback to get it within three. A previous Western team loses that game by 25 points, 30 points. But, you know, under him, I think they're, they're really showing that they want to play for him um, and that, you know, he's got the ability to connect with these players. And like you said, come come March, two months from now, they could be completely different. But then two other quick notes. Um, we saw that uh, Cooper Corneman announced he's transferring back to Mount Marty to play, uh, you know, in, in his hometown of Yankton. So that leaves the Jacks with only 11 total players um, on the roster at this moment. So, you know, hopefully COVID-wise, injury-wise, you know, that, that doesn't play an issue. But, you know, even in practice with only 11 guys, uh, you might be, you, know, you can still go five and five, but you know, uh, you're not super, uh, you don't have a ton of depth there. So that's just something to watch. And then the last thing was, uh, I hadn't really realized this, but we're having the same refs night one to night two. Uh, and just one thing I thought of, uh, it didn't really play out in this, this um, series this weekend, but it'd be interesting to see what happens if you have a really bad game that's, that's refed poorly night one you know, how the coaches and maybe fans, if they're there uh, and players kind of react night two when that same refing crew comes back, because, you know, it's, it's not like most games where if it's a bad game by the refs, they get out of there in a hurry and just run through the, the tunnel. And, you know, you don't hear from them um, again, but now you got to see them, you know, 24 hours later. So that could just be something to watch uh, moving forward. No, going off that a little bit. Uh, I know the first night Western had some foul issues i think they had a couple guys foul out whether you know late in the game if they fouled out because they were intentionally fouling as well but i know early on they uh they started out with some foul issues so um but the night two sdsu kind of ran into those issues so uh the consistency there is going to be interesting to watch because you know, like you said uh um the refing uh you know if the coach gets the technical arguing too much night one night two does the refs come out and remember that or is it because they're humans too they'll be mad um, kind of, I guess, a quick fun story on that, on the refing uh, back at the Dakota Showcase. Uh, I can't remember which games it was, but I believe it was night one. One of the refs from the first game had to ref the second game as well because one of the refs in the second crew got COVID. So they had to, um, they had to bring in another ref. Well, he, that third ref couldn't make it and get tested in time, so they had to use somebody from the first game, second game. <laughs> so... Um, it's going to be a weird season with refs. Um, I don't know if they have a contingency plan if, you know, only two refs can go, if they're able to do that. Um, I know in the women's game, one of the refs 
like rolled an ankle or something. So they did rough with two. Um, so yeah, some interesting rough, uh, rough storylines from, from even this weekend. Um, <laughs> something you but, would have uh, not thought about going into this season. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, kind of, you, you mentioned uh, Cornerman transferring. And uh, then with Matt Mims being hurt, uh, really there's only 10 active guys right now for the Jacks. Um, until Matt's back, you know, they made note that he might be available this coming weekend. You don't really know. You don't, don't really want to push it. Um, but yeah, the depth, you know, 10 guys and that's a guy that usually, you know, gets seven to 10 minutes a game. So, um, some depth issues there, maybe we'll see that going forward, but, you know, Charlie Easley's filled in, uh, a nice role defensively, especially, um, he's really been uh, good for the Jacks this year. Um, but unless you have anything else to touch on, uh, we can kind of get into our Omaha preview here. And that was our, uh, obviously, our recap of the Western Illinois series uh, for the men's side. Here's where we normally would go into our men's uh, preview for Omaha with Matt Kirkle. Obviously, with COVID uh, cancellations this weekend, that game and series will not be happening. So instead, uh, we were joined this week by starting guard Baylor Shireman. Uh, you know, talk about a little bit of SDSU basketball. So here's Baylor Shireman. And welcome back to the Rabbit Rundown. Uh, again, we are here joined by Baylor Shireman, uh, starting guard for the SDSU Jackrabbits. Baylor, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh, perfect. Thanks for joining uh, joining us tonight. Uh, you know, first off, um, we have a background here on the podcast, you know, to SDSU Fans, Cody was a manager at one point, so um, always just like to talk SDSU basketball. Um, and I guess my first question going into it is, um, I'm also a big Nebraska football fan, and as a you know big Nebraska football standout, um, what brought you to Brookings, and what was kind of the reason? You know, uh, I kind of read some things where you were maybe not interested in football at the next level. What was kind of the reason you chose maybe basketball over, um, you know, football at the next level? Yeah, well, you know, basketball was always my first love. And, you know, growing up, my dream was always to play college basketball and, and make it to the NCAA tournament. And I started getting recruited for basketball way before even football was really even in the picture. And I guess I chose, you know, here Brookings just because, you know, South Dakota State is one of, you know, they go to the NCAA tournament a lot. They win a lot of games. And we get a lot of support from, you know, the community, from our, our fellow students, you know, that come to the game and stuff. And so it's just a great, you know, college town, college atmosphere. And I think that's really what brought me uh, to Brookings. Um, and then I guess the next question I had for you there, um, you know, with you being there um, and, it, you know, with it being a weird season with COVID and everything, what's it like as a, uh, you know, a student athlete with uh, COVID uh, this season? You know, it's definitely – a lot different you know obviously there's no fans and such but also you know when you're not you know doing basketball stuff you have to be super careful what you're doing because you know you obviously don't want to contract the virus because that's going to end up hurting yourself and hurting your team and obviously you know we, we don't get to play this week because of you know coronavirus issues and so it's definitely you know different but I'm grateful that we're able to have a season grateful that we get to play so oh, yeah perfect yeah and going into a little bit of the stats on the year. This year, you're, you know, you're leading the team in boards. You've had a lot of double doubles. Um, 
you getting a lot of rebounds, is that kind of by design so you can initiate offense right away because you're, you know, good at bringing the ball to court? Or is that just you have a knack for finding the ball when it comes off the rim? No, I, I think I'm just, you know, it's not really set up that way. I think I, I just have a knack for finding the ball off the rim, uh, you know, just angles, you know, where they shoot and where it's going to come off and such like that. And also it helps, you know, I'm a little taller taller guard so coming in getting those rebounds definitely helps but I definitely don't think it's like a, a setup by design I, I just end up getting them yeah perfect um so kind of going back to you know with the rebounds uh last year you know we saw you um kind of you know coming off the bench as a role player guard uh, type position this year you've you've really stepped it up you know you've you're starting to knock down the three-point ball pretty consistently um what's the change in you know your style of play this year um, and what was, when did that all kind of start clicking for you, uh, you know, coming into this season? You know, I really, honestly, I don't really think it was a big change of style of play. I think this is how I've always played. I think I just, I'm more confident now at this level, you know, coming in last year, there was a lot of things new. Um, I, I gained 30 pounds coming in as a freshman last year and, you know, gaining that much weight, it kind of threw off my jump shot a little bit. And so, you know, having the time at home over quarantine really kind of helped because I was able to just, get in the gym and shoot a lot of shots and, you know, get my jumper feeling, you know, consistent, like you've said this year. And uh, so I think just that, that time period over the course really helped me coming into this year. Yeah, I think, you know, it obviously shows. Uh, one question I had um, is, so my last year as a manager, Alex coming in as a left-handed player, I think the coaches couldn't even remember the last time there was a left-handed player at SDSU. You know, now there could be a lineup where there's four of them. If you got you, Alex, um, David, and Luke, do you find that, you know, do you think that's an advantage for you guys at all, where teams kind of maybe have to play defense a little bit differently than they normally would? Because normally it's, you know, the defense has one lefty that they're kind of keen on. Um, but just maybe talk about that if you guys, you know, think about that at all. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we kind of make it as a joke. We don't really think about it too seriously. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily an advantage, but it's definitely unique. I don't know if there's really any – college teams that have more than one lefty on the team, if even a lefty at all. So to have four lefties on the team and that possibly could be on the court at the same time is definitely, you know, insane to even think about, but I don't really think we think about it as like an advantage type deal. Um, maybe remind me quick, were you being recruited by TJ when you came onto campus or was uh, Hendo kind of the coach of the whole time? No, yeah, TJ was the head coach um, at the time, but Hendo, uh, played a big part in, in my recruiting process. So when the change happened, it really wasn't like a, a big, like, Oh, well, he didn't really recruit me anyway. So like, yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. So I was just curious because, you know, this week we have now found out two guys are uh, entering the transfer portal, uh, the UND guy, uh, Alan Aiken, Alan Aikens, and then uh, Chisholm down at USD today announced he was um, really kind of, yeah, it just happened, you know, a few hours ago before we recorded. Um, hmm. You know, it's a big transfer, uh, you know, basketball is like the, the transfer portal has become such a huge thing now. Um, what's it like um, as, you know, a college athlete? Is that something that, you know, you hear a lot about potential transfer players coming in? You have coaches calling you all the time still when they see, you know, the improvement. What's it like kind of in that uh, where, you know, that is such a prevalent thing right now? Yeah, you know, definitely with the whole COVID situation too. A lot of people opting out of the season and stuff like that. But yeah, the transfer portal is, is definitely something new. Cause I mean, in high school, obviously 
you know, if you don't play or whatnot, it's not like you just transfer high schools, you know? So I think that's definitely different from uh, high school to college. And it's such a, it's such a big commitment college sports is. And so you kind of like, if you're not really having fun, it's not the best time, especially like I said, with the commitment time is. So it's definitely a personal decision when it comes to, you know, entering the transfer portal. Yeah. And going off that, I think it's obvious, you know, when you guys watching you guys play, uh, you guys really like to play together. You know, everyone on the team seems to really enjoy it, but you know, in game time, you guys are pretty serious. Uh, but there's always that one guy in practice who keeps it light, you know, makes the joke when there needs to be one. So who's that guy for the Jacks? Um, and if it's you, you don't have to be humble here. <laughs> Honestly, I think there's, I mean, I think there's quite a few people that are pretty light about it. I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty light about it. And Matt Mims is definitely light about it. Doug Wilson's light about it. Um, Doug Wilson's funny. Like you guys don't see behind the scenes, but Doug Wilson is a funny dude. Um, yeah, for sure. We'll have to watch out for that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of on that practice uh, note there, you were kind of brought up practice. Um, you guys had a, you know, a long extended break between, um, you know, the Dakota Showcase and some other games. And then uh, your first game against Western because of the bye week. Now you have another bye week. Uh, yeah. what's, it, um, what's it like having those extended breaks? Um, especially with, you know, COVID, you have to be super careful with everything. But What's it like at practice? Do you guys have to, you know, be more accountable at practice with, you know, how serious you are, the intensity, or what's it like having these extended breaks? Yeah, you know, it's definitely different. It's a, definitely changed from last year to this year because, I mean, last year we the longest break we had was like four days, and this year, like you said, we were almost off for a whole month. And so definitely you have to come to practice with a, with a different mindset that you're just going to be locked in for however long we're there. And the coaches have done a good job of, you know, rearranging the schedule to you know help us be the best that we can be at practice and whatnot um and then just one kind of thing with the weird scheduling as well what's it like playing the back-to-back formatted uh games opposed to you know historically summer league action you play you know either wednesday thursday and then you play saturday um with you know some light travel um what's it like playing back-to-back games is that something you guys like better or do you like the old format I mean, honestly, I mean, I kind of got used to the schedule last year where, you know, we kind of had some days off in between games. But in high school, actually, all my games were Friday, Saturday. And so it's really not anything new for me because that's what I did all throughout high school. So it really doesn't like affect me all that well. I mean, the only difference is we're playing the same team back to back days. But at, like in terms of like wear and tear on body and, you know, uh, stuff like that, it's really no no big difference for me. Yeah, and we, you know, like Jacob said, we saw a huge change this year with scheduling and just the format, you know, trying to have a season. But you also had a change with the headband. What At what point in the season did you decide, you know, in the preseason, did you decide I'm going with the headband? Because I think you're rocking it so far. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, over quarantine, I grew out my hair. And so it was getting my eyes. And that's one of the things I hate the most is when my hair is in my eyes and I have gel in it, but when it gets all sweaty, it falls down. And I think the first half of the NDSU game, when we played them at the at the showcase or whatever, they uh, made me take my headband off because it didn't match my color and my hair was all in my eyes and it was terrible. And I ended up getting one for the second half. But yeah, I mean, the real main reason was just to keep the hair out of my eyes. People think I just do it for show, but honestly, like the hair gets in my eyes if I don't wear it. 
Well, either way, I think it's a good look, and, and you're obviously playing good, so I think you got to keep it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with some of the games you guys have played here since you've been at SDSU, where would you say, you know, so far is probably your, you know, outside of Frost maybe, where's kind of the favorite venue you've played on the road? Is there a certain place you, you know, you enjoyed the most or anything like that? Like like non-conference conference or just in general? In general, um, yeah, just non-home games maybe. Okay. Um, I mean, last year when we played at Arizona, that was pretty sweet. I mean, we were hanging in there with them all the way, and uh, the crowd was getting into it, and that's awesome. I love when the crowd, especially opposing crowd, gets into it. That's that's sweet. So I think there was special. I mean, this year Iowa State was fun. I mean, obviously there was no crowd, but I, I really liked that venue too. That was a cool, cool place to play. Yeah, it was like that where, you know, you grew up watching it. And you're like, oh, I wanted yeah. to play there, and you got to play there. Didn't know if there's anybody anywhere like that as being a Nebraska kid of Iowa State. Well, yeah, Indiana, probably, honestly. Indiana, Hoosiers playing there. That was probably the, my favorite, too. I, Assembly Hall, that was that was sweet. Yeah, and speaking of big crowds, um, you know, last year you got to experience a little taste of what, it, what it's like to play um, at the Premier Center for the Summit League tournament. Um, and obviously that – didn't go as planned is that something you guys kind of think about and use as motivation or is it kind of just a forget it move on it's a new season it's a new team and you don't really think about it at all I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both I think it's, it's 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 definitely in the past and you know we don't want to draw on the past but it's definitely used as motivation because I think we all you know going into the season last year that what you know we set goals and that was not one of our goals losing in the first round and so I think we, we use that as motivation, but we set goals, new goals this semester that we're really looking forward to achieving. Oh, yeah, and then um, kind of going off like, you know, last season going into this year, um, even back in high school, you probably didn't play on a team that brought as many guys back as the previous year. You know, where yeah. you guys really, you brought back your core. What's it yeah. like? Um, is there an advantage in a season like this where, you know, you bring back, you know, eight, nine guys that played last year got solid minutes and really you don't graduate too many guys after this year even. Is there a big advantage um, bringing that kind of core back in a weird season like this? For sure. I mean, we all know our strengths and weaknesses and we all know how to play well together and we know what the coaches expect of us. And there's we don't really have to, like, spend a lot of time figuring out our identity offensively, defensively, what the coaches, you know, want us to do, the schemes. We just know it. And I think that was big, especially because, you know, we didn't get a lot of time to work on it in the summer like normally we do. But since, you know, like you said, we basically have everybody back from last year. It really wasn't a big a big deal for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's an awesome uh, group to watch play. Like I said before, you know, everyone just uh, seems like they get along so well and play so well together. But uh, my final question here, I don't know if Jacob has any more. Uh, it's a real tough one. Which play? Would you rather make a deep three, a slam dunk, or a full court assist? Probably full court assist, honestly. Those, 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 those are my favorite. Or just like a flashy pass, something like that. I, I, I really like that more than anything, probably. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen your reaction after a couple of those. Uh, the USD one last year, uh, I was like, I think it was to Noah. Um, you definitely had like a big reaction after that one, and then. Um, kind of a joking one after the 
uh, Western game where you were kind of on your knee and you threw it over your head to Noah. And yeah. Yeah. Um, he missed it. He missed it. <laughs> I was gonna say you gotta give him some grief. <laughs> oh, I did. I gave him so much grief. I couldn't believe he missed it. That was that was probably my coolest pass since I've been there. Here. Uh, yeah, that that one definitely rivaled. I think it was Gonzaga had a you know their guard had a nice pass this week and uh, full yeah. of and the guy missed the lay in too. So it's just like yeah, man, you gotta finish those. But um yeah, no, yeah, that was uh, that was Cody's final question. That's kind of all the questions I had as well. So uh, we're kind of hitting that time. So. Thanks again for joining us. Um, you know, good luck the rest of the season, and hopefully, you know, everyone stays healthy and safe with all this COVID stuff going on. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate well, it. Yeah, perfect. And that was Baylor Shireman, uh, starting guard uh, for the SCSU Jackrabbits. Uh, I'd like to thank him again for his time. And uh, Cody, uh, let's get into, you know, a little bit of around the Summit League action here. Uh, we've touched on a few games already uh, from this past weekend, but especially on Friday night, a lot of really close games. Uh, there was four games, uh, the three that, you know, the three non-SDSU games. Uh, USD won 66 to 64 over UMKC, North Dakota 72 to 71 over Oral Roberts, and Omaha lost 69 to 71 NDSU. So, you know, a lot of really close games. Uh, it's going to make Sioux Falls, you know, really exciting. Um, kind of like we mentioned earlier, uh, we'll start with the S or the USC UMKC game. Um, UMKC really showing defensively. They're one of the, could be one of the top teams in the conference on that side of the ball. Uh, 66, 64 game one, 68, 62 game two. Um, you know, USD is considered one of the better teams in the conference. So, uh, are you surprised that all those games are so close considering where UMKC was kind of picked or because their defense, uh, we'll, we'll see if that, you know, continues throughout the year. No, I mean, I think it is a good sign for them that most of their games are, you know, when you look at the the four games that are played each each night, uh, it's always obvious that the UMKC game is a little bit more lower scoring, it seems like. So, you know, that could be a tough out um, come tournament time. You know, if they really put the clamps on and they just have a hot shooting night. Um, so it's a team to watch out for. Um, and, you know, USD getting off to a 4-0 start, you know, it's not – they haven't played the, the toughest competition so far, but I'm sure they're feeling great. And, you know, they're showing that they want to compete with uh, NDSU and, and SDSU and Oral at the top. And really that's probably like five straight conference wins for USD now coming off the Dakota showcase, um, even though it's not considered a conference win. So they're definitely really confident right now. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if that defense continues all year for UMKC. I know, if your team's struggling throughout the year, you're not getting those wins. The defensive intensity can really drop for a team. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, they're not getting all the wins that they want, if that if that consistency stays there. Um, going into the second matchup on the men's side, uh, UND and Oral Roberts played this weekend, kind of a stunner week or night one. UND with the win 72 to 71. I think most people expected um, Oral Roberts to sweep this matchup. Uh, second night, you saw Oral Roberts kind of dominate the way everyone expected, 74 to 57. Um, but what we're seeing, you know, is, uh, you know, if, if you could slow down O'Banner and Abrams, you could really slow down Oral Roberts. Um, they expect those two to kind of lead the team in scoring and everyone else kind of fill in. Uh, Glasper obviously can score a little bit for them. They have a, they have a few other guys that can score, but a majority of their shots are going to be O'Banner and Abrams. So, um, 
it'll be fun to watch, you know, that team evolve throughout the year and, you know, UND sneaking out a win there. That's big for them. Um, you know, they, they're about two and two now in the conference play. So uh, they've split both series, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch, you know, how they improve throughout the year. I know they uh, um, are looking for some consistency from players. They've had some injury issues, so they're still getting things rolling, but, um, but yeah, I guess, and, and any thoughts you had from that, that matchup? Uh, not, you know, yeah, like you said, surprising that Oral dropped that game at home, but that's Philip Robracha for you. He had a, you know, 24 point game and he showed that on any given night, he can take over a game and, you know, help lead his team to a victory. And I'm sure UND is feeling great about that. Um, and for UND, they got big series this upcoming weekend. They're playing NDSU, so, and they get to host them in Grand Forks. So I'm sure they're going to be up for that game and hoping they can get, you know, two wins while Oral Roberts is heading out to Denver. So um, Oral Roberts is hoping, you know, get a sweep out there at altitude. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it'll, uh, those will be two fun series to watch this weekend. Uh, you really expect Oral Roberts probably run away with those two games at Denver, but you never know with that week off, maybe Denver had some game planning to do and Bill's got them going. So that'll be something worth watching. But um, like you kind of mentioned, uh, North Dakota State and then Omaha, we talked about them a little bit already. Uh, NDSU won both games, first night 71 to 69, and then uh, controlled game two, 80 to 66. Um, I guess that's kind of a common theme I've noticed uh, throughout these matchups. Night one, really close, intense games. Night two, the better of the two teams kind of shows are the better of two teams. Uh, we'll be interesting to see if that happens all year. Um, if those matchups really, if game one, you know, those lesser teams really throw their haymakers um, and try to, you know, stick close. The night two, the better the talent kind of wins out. Um, but yeah, you know, Omaha hasn't started out real hot. They're replacing a lot uh, on the in the guard position um, this year. And then North Dakota State, like we said, Pick to you know be one or two or three. A lot of people have them at two right now, so um, kind of expected them to sweep that series. But surprised about how close and you know what they needed to do in game one to you know actually pull out the win. Yeah, I mean Omaha. I think we maybe touched on it, but all of their games have been fairly close, even though they're zero four, um, and they're going to be a competitive team all year, I think. Um, and NDSU is just keeping on, keeping on. You know they're. They're a well-coached team, and they're going to, um, you know, I think, like we said, for UND, it's a big series for NDSU if they can go on the road and get a couple wins and show that, you know, they're right there with SDSU. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. Um, and then getting into the women's side of things, uh, I will start out with the USD-UMKC series. Um, USD swept that matchup. Uh, first game, really the opposite of anything that happened in the men's. Uh, night one, uh, USD women won 92 to 34. Uh, just absolutely killed them. Uh, six points in the first half for UMKC. So really never, or in the first quarter, so really never gave themselves a, sh- a chance in that game. And then, then night two, uh, 80 to 53, a little bit closer, but, you know, kind of ex- what you expect from the USD women. You're kind of expecting some of these blowouts, and um, it'll be interesting to see how the season goes uh, for them this year. If it's a, this is a consistent thing or if UMKC – you know, it was a little bit lower tier team and, um, and we'll see what, how that all goes. Yeah. I mean, USD is, they're showing that, you know, they're the defending champs for a reason. So, uh, you know, when you beat a team 92 to 34, that 
that's a whooping. So, <laughs> um, you know, the, I think they're just going to keep rolling, honestly. Uh, I don't know, you know, what their schedule looks like coming up, but they seem to be in a groove. And, uh, you know, I don't know if someone's going to be able to slow them down until they maybe meet up with the Jackrabbits. Yeah, I agree. Um, then we'll get into the next women's matchup, which was UND and Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts swept the series. Uh, night one, 84-70-71. Uh, night two, 90-82. No real surprises there. UND is kind of one of those teams you expect to finish in the bottom half. Oral Roberts it seems to always be a team that finishes towards the top. Uh, Oral Roberts is now 2-0 and in the conference. UND is now 0-3. Uh, so no real surprises there. Um, any major takeaways for you uh, from that matchup? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I don't know, you know, either of those teams super well. So just kind of as expected, uh, I don't have much commentary there. Yep. And then going into the final matchup, uh, kind of talked about Omaha already a little bit. Uh, they're 0-2, NDSU's 3-1. NDSU, you know, expected to be one of the better teams uh, in the conference, swept the series 66-55 night two and 62-53 night one. So pretty consistent that night. Um, you know, Omaha's you mentioned earlier, hasn't been one of the better teams in the conference as of late, uh, still struggling and NDSU, you know, picked towards the top. So uh, no surprises there. Um, it would be nice if SDSU can, you know, do something similar to Omaha this weekend, you know, maybe a little, show, put a little bit of distance between Omaha to show that they're, you know, another class ahead of NDSU. But, um, but yeah, any real, no real surprises there, I assume from you or uh, anything like that. Yeah. Other than that, you know, NDSU, I think, they're, they're coming for the, the South Dakota schools They they want a piece of this crown and uh, it'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, they play down the stretch when they got to play the big dogs. Yep. I definitely think there is a gap, you know, uh, there's a gap between one and two right now at the South Dakota schools are up there. And then I do think there's also a gap between two and three and the rest of the conference or three and four and the rest of the conference. I think oral and NDSU are still like, you know, they put themselves ahead of, UMKC's the Westerns, you know, Western could be there at the end of the year, but right now they, they're, you know, they're one and three. So um, they've lost, you know, to now NDSU once and SDSU twice. So um, it will be interesting to watch how maybe Western can get up into that second tier of teams. Um, but right now it's, you know, oral NDSU probably, right. You know, trying to catch up to South Dakota schools and uh, we'll see how that, you know, once the schedules all really break down, how that changes for these teams. Exactly. Um, but with that being said, uh, thanks again for joining us. I think that's all we have here for episode six of the rabbit rundown. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back next week to discuss, uh, the week of action. Uh, we'll, we'll be joined by a couple of guests, uh, follow us on Twitter at the rabbit rundown. Let us know what you think of the episode. If you have any questions, let us know. Um, but yeah, other than that, we'll see you guys next week.